0: Um, So I'm Dan Abbotts, if you don't know who I am, I am an elder and a teacher here at Philida Baptist, uh, Bible, Philida Bible, I believe I owe a dollar somewhere now. I'm also a member of our preaching group, which is uh, why I'm up here today. And before we get to the the meat of the message, I want to give you a little mind, kind of inside view of the, the mind of the preaching team. Uh, I was challenged by one of its fellows as we are going to be talking about sheep today to work in as many sheep-themed puns as I could (laughs) into the message. But knowing myself and uh, the other uh, people of the team, we want to proclaim God's truth. So rather than be distracted with that, I thought I would uh, front load this sermon with some puns right here, uh, kind of flock them. Together, if you will, because I don't want to pull the wool over your eyes or make it seem like I've fleeced you in any way, shape or form. Uh, I'm sure you've heard some of them, and they are pretty bad. And I don't want you to feel like I'm ramming them down your throat. And with that, I am done. So, any pun, I'll be honest here, any pun you hear from here on out is unintentional. (laughs) So, mainly because I do not want to distract from what God would have done here with the message. So, um, I'm going to pray one more time and then we'll dive in. Father, thank you for humor. Thank you that we can have a a good laugh and yet still uh, learn truth about you. So, uh, I just echo Mac's prayer that uh, your spirit would be here, that you would adhere to our minds and our hearts the truth you have for us today. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So, in answering the question of who am I, uh, we're going to answer that with, I am a sheep of the good shepherd. And you may be thinking to yourself, fantastic, God says, I am a sheep. So what do we know about sheep? Well, to start with, they're, they're not an animal that actually hunts for food. They are hunted. Um, second, they, they seem to either follow nothing at all or anyone that comes along that might do something for them in a good way. And they're not really known for their stunning intellect, sheep. In fact, sometimes they just seem plain stupid. <laughs> And and what are sheep if not for the wool that they provide for our clothing and a good gyro? Am I right? Yeah. Uh, but why would we call a person a sheep? What, what identifies us that way? Uh, maybe you've heard of a person being sheepish, kind of very, that, that timid or that uh, not really prone to jump into action kind of thing. Um, or maybe a person who can't really think for themselves. They'll follow uh, the latest and greatest trends, whatever X company provides, they, they run after. And uh, we kind of just call those people sheeple, right? Because it's that example. They're just herding around. Oh, this is awesome. Let's go do that. Uh, being honest, I'm guilty of this. My wife will attest. Um, maybe it's someone who's only good for what you can actually fleece from them. I mean, that term comes from taking the fleece off of a sheep, right? So maybe they're only good as what they produce. Uh, or maybe they're good as uh, the work that they can do for another person. Or maybe they're just plain dumb. Uh, so as I look at our society, as I look at our culture, and I look at how I talk to others and the, the speech that I use, um, being likened to a sheep It doesn't seem like a positive thing. So, welcome to church, everyone, where God says you're a sheep. Yes. And uh, when we read the Bible, we can actually take some of these uh, assumptions, these presuppositions, and kind of overlay the Bible and what it's saying with, oh, I think I understand they're calling sheep, therefore it means this, right? So I want to actually pull back a little bit and look at uh, what the Bible's actually saying. I want to remove those, those presuppositions and that cultural stuff and, and really get at what the Bible is saying in context when the, the term sheep is used, right? So there, there are many varied authors throughout the Bible. There are many different styles of writing in the Bible. Uh, They're all inspired by the same spirit. Um, So we want to really look at what he is communicating to us there. In Ezekiel chapter 34, uh, God uses the prophet Ezekiel um, to talk to the nation of Israel, and in that chapter he refers to Israel as a flock of sheep. And we see a similarity in John 10, where Jesus is talking about those who believe in him as a flock as well. He talks about them as sheep. So there is this larger group there. So it's not only used to describe large groups, but also the characteristics of individuals within that group. So we have verses like Isaiah 53.6, the first part of it, is what we're focusing on, where it says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. It kind of shows the idea... That were, we're self interested or self centered, uh, that selfish idea. Or we have uh, Ezekiel thirty four sixteen. There again is the that context of um, Ezekiel talking to uh, Israel as a group of sheep. But in verse sixteen, the Lord says this: "I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed." And He's referring to these people as sheep. I will bind up the injured, I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy; I will feed them in justice in justice. so in these verses we read that the uh, the sheep being lost, injured, weak, and in a larger context, taking advantage of the other sheep in the fold. Matthew 12, 11 and 12. Jesus is talking to some Pharisees, but he makes reference to this. Which of you, he said, which of you who has a sheep, if he falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? And Luke 15, Jesus is talking uh, is telling a parable about uh, some lost items, and uh, he talks about a a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and he's lost one. In, In verses five and six. He talks about this, the shepherd finding the sheep, and he says, And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And he comes home, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. I have found the sheep that was lost. And in both those verses there, the Matthew reference and the Luke reference, we see this idea that uh, sheep are valuable right that there there is a an esteem there that they are prized, um, even though the shepherd had ninety nine he went looking for the one what that is a powerful picture because god is is showing us in those verses that we are valuable, and those are just that's just a small sampling of the uh of the scriptures that uh show that but As you look at the whole of it, of what the scriptures say, what the Bible says about sheep, there's one constant theme that keeps coming up, and it's that sheep are dependent. Sheep are dependent. Just as sheep are dependent and in need of a shepherd because of their vulnerability, we are dependent because of our need and our vulnerability. Uh, going back to Ezekiel 34, God paints that picture uh, as him being a shepherd of his flock, the nation of Israel. And John 10, like I said, uses that same imagery. So one point I want to drive home here is that sheep need a shepherd because they are dependent. We, they need someone to lead them. And as I was working on this sermon over the past uh, Weeks, I I kept asking myself the question if this is what the Bible is saying about sheep, why would I want to be a sheep? What good reason is there? In fact, culturally and biblically, it seems pretty lame to be a sheep, being honest. So the only answer that I came up with is that I don't want to be a sheep. I just don't want to. And in that in that mindset, God brought to mind that, um, just a small, small little truth here, I don't have a choice in the matter. I, at, at this point, I am a sheep. He's not saying, oh, you can be like a sheep if you want to. No, he's saying, we are sheep. There is a dependency, there is a vulnerability that we have, and this is, this is truth. Uh, I have a desperate need because I'm lost or I'm weak or I'm vulnerable. I get taken advantage of and I take advantage of other people. I am valuable though. Bring that that piece up. I am valuable to God. And through God's grace I can say I was to a lot of those things. I was lost. I was weak, etc. And, uh, what God is using this picture of sheep for us is to, to get our attention, to, to take the focus from myself, from yourself, and point it to him, to see us as, as he sees us, in need of his care. I think we spend a lot of time focused on ourselves, so a, a better question to ask as I was working this, a better question to ask is, "Why is it good to be a sheep?" The answer is simple and straightforward. It is good to be a sheep because we have a good shepherd, and we confuse the situation of focus on the sheep aspect of, you know, like exactly like I did. I don't want to be a sheep, God. This is—it's a horrible <laughs> description. I would not describe myself as a sheep. Maybe a dog, but not a sheep. Something that's at least loyal, you know, not stupid. But you no, know, we need to take that focus off ourselves and realize that in those moments he's he's calling himself a shepherd there. And uh specifically, we want to look at Jesus being the good shepherd. And what makes Jesus a good shepherd? That's uh, uh, the question that, that jumped to mind. You know, like, okay, so what are the, what are the reasons that makes Jesus a good shepherd? Uh, first one that jumped out is uh, Jesus said he was. <laughs> Jesus said in uh, John 10 twice, I am the good shepherd. says it twice. Okay. In verse 29 of that same chap- chapter, he also says that his father has given him the sheep. Uh, It says, my father who has given them, that is the sheep to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them from the father's hand. So that's all well and good. People can say and claim to be many things. I can tell you that I am the best cook in the world. Don't trust me on that. Um, But if I'm answering the question of who am I by saying, uh, I am a sheep of the good shepherd, I want to also ask the question, and you see it on the screen there, how can I know know that Jesus is the good shepherd? I want to experience this. He can say he is, and he is the good shepherd, but how do we know? What is Jesus doing actively? What has Jesus done to show that he is the good shepherd? And today we're going to examine three different ways that we can know he is the good shepherd. And we're going to start off with knowing, that I can know rather that Jesus is the good shepherd because he provides for me. I can know that Jesus is the good shepherd because he provides for me. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. A shepherd provides food for his sheep. He provides water for his sheep, takes them to green pastures to eat, takes them to streams to drink. Um, really, kind of focusing in the book of John here. And there is a, uh, an encounter recorded for us in John 4 uh, where Jesus uh, is talking with a woman. She happens to be at a well. <laughs> And um, the conversation is around a drink of water, and she's like, "Well, you didn't bring it, you came to a well and didn't bring anything to draw water out with." Well, that seems kind of weird, you know. And there's this exchange, and finally, um, in verse 13, Jesus lets just some amazing truth come out. He says, "Everyone who drinks of this water, the well water, will be thirsty again." But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. This water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So we see water being provided there, right? So later in John, uh, we read a verse where Jesus says this. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We have to ask, so in these verses, is Jesus talking about physical food here? Is he talking about uh, bread and water physically? That, okay, I'm never going to run out of those, so at least I'll have that in my diet. That's good. No, I don't think we can We can say that. I think we have to understand, uh, grab this a little better and experience what Jesus said when he was being tempted by Satan, I should say after uh, he fasted for 40 days, Satan came to him and tempted him and said, oh you're really hungry, you know you could turn these rocks into bread. And it says that Jesus rebuked him and said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is the good shepherd because he provides this this, uh, food and drink for us, this sustenance for righteous living. With the water to quench our spiritual thirst for understanding and bread to give us eternal life, that is his body, right? And he alone is the one that can provide this to satisfy our deepest needs within our souls. So Jesus provides for me. How can I know that Jesus is the good shepherd? Second, because he guides me. First, because he provides for me. Second, because he guides me. As we read through the, uh, the gospel accounts, we see many, many places where Jesus is guiding his sheep. And taking a closer look at it, uh, I see two main ways that he does his guiding. The, the first way is that uh, he guides us through his teaching. And have you ever looked at how Jesus taught, the manner in which he did that? what his source for teaching was. He is a good teacher. He is good at what he does. He uses many different methods. He tells stories. He tells parables. He uses metaphors to help us understand similes. And sometimes he just tells us straight truth. Uh, On your note sheet, you'll see there, uh, you know, we kind of list out some of the verses. You'll notice under this one, I just put Matthew 5 through 7. Nice big chunk. It's a little long to put on the sheet, so I just put the reference. That's the, uh, we call that the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus did a lot of teaching in one section. And it's just, it's amazing. Uh, And I do encourage you to read it. We're not going to dissect it a little bit, but... um, This is one area where we see him really guiding sheep. And I can say that he guides his sheep there because in John 10, if we uh, look at that again, in verse 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So if we read through that larger section, we, uh, we can see that, okay, maybe this is one of the places where he is calling his sheep. Now, if that verse gives you, you know, pause or whatever, my sheep hear my voice, they know me, and I know them, and they follow me. Um, That's a sermon unto itself, and I can say happily that Pastor Scott a few weeks ago actually preached a message uh, with that in there. Um, So if you want to hear that one, I encourage that. Um, It's titled Other Sheep, and uh, if you want, I can help you find it on our website, philida.org, there That was my own personal, do an ad. Okay, so jumping back in. uh, So this is how Jesus taught. He taught uh, through stories and all this. What about uh, the source of his teaching? Was Jesus one of those teachers that just showed up and like, Hey, I've got a bit. I have my own business I want to say. And he just... He made it up on the fly. He's like, "Okay, the the crowds are coming. They're really needing something. What do I got today?" And he just said whatever popped into his head. Is that how he did it? No, it's not at all how he did it. He uh, he only spoke of what he has heard. The father directed him uh, in what to say, and he said that. So I want to on a step back a little bit from this point. I want to ask a question, and I. I'm not looking for verbal answers here, but I want you to be honest with yourself when when I ask this. Have you ever thought of the Old Testament as unnecessary? Have you ever thought that the Old Testament was not needed? Like we have the New Testament; we have everything that Jesus said and did recorded down for us in it. Um, but so we have the New Testament. Why have the Old? And pondering that one, I uh, many years ago I pondered that one, but it's this idea that uh, the Old and New Testament, I, personally, I think they're poor labels for it, because the whole is what God is doing and has done in human history, how he is interacting with his creation. And I don't think it's uh, the Old Testament is unnecessary at all, because Jesus references. He teaches out of what we call the Old Testament. He called it the Law and Prophets. We call it the Old Testament, but he taught out of it. In in Matthew 5 and 7, you don't see Jesus coming in and just throw, okay guys, we had these Ten Commandment things and a whole bunch of those. Let's throw those out. We're going to do this. On the contrary, he actually reinforces everything more so. If the standard was, you know, uh, what? which one is it? Uh, do not commit adultery. You know, um, he's like, well, if anybody has, has looked at a woman lustfully, that's adultery. So it takes like a bar where we say, oh yeah, we, okay, I didn't cheat on my wife or on my husband or anything, but just like, ha, uh, not that sarcastically, but he's like, ah, the bar is here. He He reinforces it. He makes it this This standard is even higher. We set the bar low, and he puts it where the bar actually is. And so he teaches us, he guides us in in understanding that maybe how we've been reading things in our traditions are are not what God would have us do. So we see him reinforcing that. He, He guides his sheep by teaching them through God's word. So first, he guides us through teaching. Second, he guides us through his example. Teaches us or guides us through his example. We see Jesus again as a master teacher with the section we're going to look at here because uh, any good teacher that I've ever had has explained the theory of the lesson to me and then... Shown me an example. Um, math is my easiest uh, like construct for this one. So the teacher would explain what the theory is, and here's how the problem works out. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, I get it. I understand how to do it. Now I can put it into practice. Jesus has done this for us as well. Uh, in John 13, I want us to, you're going to have to use your imagination. You may want to close your eyes for this one. Uh, exercise that imagination muscle. I want you to to imagine that you are one of Jesus' 12 uh, disciples. You follow Jesus everywhere. You've been on the dusty roads. You've been through muddy fields. You've picked wheat. Your hands are dirty. Your feet are dirty. Um, all these things. Well, the Passover's coming, and now we're going to feast. We're, we're in an upper room. We're having a meal and uh, we're celebrating everything that that god has done right this this passover is the remembrance of being delivered from egypt being delivered out of slavery so this is a great day we're reclining at the table because it's not the renaissance we don't have chairs right we're reclining at the table and maybe next to you is your buddy's feet Mm. let's dig in keep that in mind right so we're actually going to jump in uh, to chapter thirteen at verse three. It won't be on the screen, but just hear the word of God. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hand had given him all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and he was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the Word of God, who was, who is, and who will be, stepped down from the glory of heaven, took humanity upon himself. He knows who he is. He absolutely knows who he is. And he, he takes off his outer garment, puts a towel around his waist, fills a basin with water, and washes some stinky, nasty feet. God of the universe... Washing stinky, nasty feet. Let that sink in. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is who I am. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. How can I know Jesus is the good shepherd? I know because he provides for me. I know because he guides me. And I know because he protects me. And this is where it requires a somber look at ourselves. <clears throat> Two weeks ago in this room, Pastor Scott talked about the dire predicament that, the, uh, that each one of us is in, of, of perishing. That outside of the grace of God, if, if we have not accepted, if we have not received the work that Jesus has done for us, we will ultimately be separated From God. Without a shepherd, we're lost. We're weak. We're vulnerable. It hadn't always been that way. At the very beginning, when God created, Adam and Eve lived in perfection, but they bought into a lie that they could become like God. And then they disobeyed God. And everything we see around us today, the state of the world, is the consequence for that disobedience. And it's not just from what they did. We partake of it. We take part every day and any time that we do something our own way, as opposed to doing it the way that God has said we should do it. And this separates us from God, this sin. So what's the job of a shepherd? A shepherd cares for his sheep. I want to look at the, the words that Jesus says in John 10, starting at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. This is a good shepherd that would lay down his life for the sheep. And not just lay it down, but he picks it up. That to me is incredible. And it doesn't have to be Resurrection Sunday. It doesn't have to be Easter to celebrate the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. That is an amazing thing. That he conquered death for us. That we are not separated from God because of our sin, but we can be made right with God because of the sacrifice Christ made on our behalf by taking all of the sins of humanity to the cross with him. Paul says, that uh, uh, as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. I don't know the fine working details of how that is, but I know that to be true. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6. For if we have been united with him, that is Jesus, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Everything that Jesus has done in laying down his life for us, his sheep, has been so that we can be in right relationship with God again. It protects us from eternal separation from the only source of life, and that is a good, good shepherd. So I ask, what type of sheep are you? I ask myself that. Are you one that has been brought into the fold already? Are you provided for? Are you guided? Are you protected? Are you outside of the sheep pen? Hungry and thirsty. Wandering aimlessly maybe in danger in ways that you haven't even thought of or recognized before? Do you hear the shepherd's voice? If you don't hear it, do you want to hear the shepherd's voice? Are you listening for it? If you do know his voice, Are you listening to it and obeying it? I asked earlier, why is it good to be a sheep? It is good to be a sheep because we have a good shepherd who provides, a good shepherd who guides, and who protects us. I want to end the message today by reading the uh, the twenty third Psalm. Prayerfully, I hope we hear this as we have never heard it before. The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hmm. Hmm. Father, thank you. Thank you for our good shepherd, Jesus. Thank you that he does all of these things for us uh, when we do not deserve them. Thank you, Father, that you have not left us to just to die in our sinfulness, but that you have provided a way that we can come back to you through Christ. Father, I pray that you would uh, give us joy over this if we have accepted that. Help us rejoice every day. Father, I pray for those who have not experienced that truth. Father, I pray that they would hear your voice, that they would hear Jesus calling to them, that they would be drawn into the fold and that we would welcome them and rejoice with them as as well. You are a good, good Father to us, and we thank you for all these things.